The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Acts two forty-two through 47 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Redeemer Church. How are we doing this morning? It is good to be with you. It is good to see green grass. It is good to hear frogs last night chirping. And it is good to have those little things flying around in your face as we are singing worship. It actually is. I'm from Atlanta originally, so I enjoy uh, the beautiful sights, sounds, and everything of uh, the East Coast and what I would call the South as well. So it's a joy to be with you. Um, The Hill Church does send greetings to you, and we just want to say... It's a joy for me to be here and see your faces. We love you. We love your pastor. And we actually do have a few connections. Even I was listening this morning in ministry. You guys have been faithfully involved in our church. You don't even know that. Your pastor Josh came out in January, as he said. and He didn't just come out to visit San Diego. Maybe you guys thought that. But he actually came out to uh, train a group of pastors, uh, or at least a group of uh, aspiring leaders in our churches, not just from my church, but some collective churches in the area. We had about 40 men who came for a two-day intensive on preaching. And the fruit that that bore for my church was that we are a three-year-old church plant, which typically means the lead pastor never gets time off. I was able to take the entire month of July off and have four uh, brothers preach in our church the month of July, much of that coming from the faithful fruit of your church and your pastor coming out and helping us to think about preaching. So thank you for that. We also partner with uh, Pioneer Church as well. So what a beautiful thing that both of us together on the East Coast and the West Coast, that we are partnering together for a, a gospel work here in through in, uh, Pioneer Church Trail and his wife. So we love them dearly as well. So we are knitted together in a lot of ways in gospel ministry. Um, I want to speak to you this morning from Acts chapter 2 on some necessary ingredients to Christian community. What comes to mind when you think of Christian community or togetherness in the church? Maybe good friends, a weekly fellowship night you've attended that has been especially helpful to you. Uh, Maybe it's a small group within the church uh, you are a part of. While of these are good and even helpful by themselves, do they necessarily constitute Christian community? I want to tell you a story of two churches. It comes from a book called Compelling Community, which are surprisingly similar, these two churches. One of the churches is a theologically liberal congregation. That's their own description. They describe themselves that way. The other is a theologically conservative church. Both of these churches were established in 1867. Both grew, both held significant influence in the capital city during the time surrounding World War II. Both also plateaued in the years that followed and by the late 20th century were almost at the point of closing their doors. The future of both was up in the air at this point. 
But beginning in the late 1900s, both began to grow. Both attracted young people moving into the city. Both became a vital part of the neighborhood again. For many years, the growth of both increased at a fairly even and steady rate. Both churches were known for caring for the poor and the vulnerable. On Sunday morning, both parking lots were, were, would be buzzing with activity as well as throughout the week. Both were said to include, quote, a tight-knit, caring, vibrant community. Yet despite their strong similarities, the two churches, these two churches couldn't be anything further apart. When interviewed in the late 90s, the pastor of one congregation said he doesn't even call himself a Christian. He didn't believe in the intoning work of Christ on the cross or the physical resurrection. He even explained that he wasn't even sure he believed in God at all. The other congregation centered on the historic gospel as found in the scriptures. One church's logo cites Romans 10, 17, faith only, faith, faith comes by hearing. The other describes itself as the church of the open communion. Now in telling this story, are these things important that are flying in front of me? Is that going to include the last song? Should I, should I move some stuff around? Let me. I don't see any his, no, there are some his mercies more page, so you guys might need those when you come back up here. But in telling these two stories, the author's point is pretty straightforward and I think very convincing and something we need to consider this morning. His point is this, you don't necessarily need God to build community within a church. You don't necessarily need God to build community within a church. So then what is it that community that makes community distinctly Christian? What I'm asking is, what makes the church the church? As you heard us read this morning, we're going to be focusing uh, on a few verses in Acts chapter 2, particularly verses 42 to 47. And here's kind of the overarching point I want you to get, and hope, hopefully I can prove it to you from the text this morning. It's this, that Christian community is marked by a supernatural togetherness devoted to the person and work of Jesus. Christian community is marked by a supernatural togetherness devoted to the person and work of Jesus. Now that I've given you some ears to hear this text again as my introduction, I want to read it one more time for you. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the, and, to, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Salvation is a community-creating event. That's the reality of Acts chapter 2. God's intent has always been to create a people for Himself. This began with Israel. But as we know, due to their constant unbelief and continuous rejection of God, the Old Testament ends with the nation of Israel in utter ruin. But we know from passages like Isaiah 31, Ezekiel 36, God had promised that he was going to send his spirit to accomplish a new, greater, and lasting work through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He was going to establish a new Israel, as Paul calls it, a new people of God, born of the Holy Spirit, to bear his name into a world around him. This new community would receive new hearts, and it would be enabled to truly worship and obey the Lord. And Acts chapter 2 is the unfolding of this very reality. After dying on the cross, the resurrected Jesus ascends to heaven and pours out his spirit on his people, just as he promised. 120 people from differing nations and different ethnicities and differing languages supernaturally receive the Holy Spirit. Instantly, what was a, a ragtag, scared, seemingly defeated group of people become a bold, unified, powerful kingdom force in the world for Jesus. What happened? experienced salvation in a new and fresh way and in turn were empowered by the Holy Spirit. In proof of this, we don't have to look very much farther than just Peter, the disciple who was scared to speak for Jesus, the dude who rejected Christ. We see him now standing in Acts chapter 2, preaching boldly to the very group of people who are responsible for actually killing Jesus. And when he does, 3,000 are convicted of sin. They repent. They're saved. Now, once upon salvation, did these 3,000 people just go their own way and you know, live their own life and do their own thing? No. They were baptized, publicly identifying themselves with Jesus, and then they were brought into this new community. Brothers and sisters, salvation is a community-creating event. The giving of the Holy Spirit, salvation in Jesus Christ, results in new community in Christ. Salvation produces community. And this community is called the church. To be joined to Jesus is to be joined to his body. Through the Holy Spirit, we are reconciled to God and simultaneously to each other. Paul says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.13. To be in Christ is to be in the church, the new community of God. So Christian community, before anything else, is a supernatural reality created by God. God creates Christian community. God birthed it by His Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we find the, the model of Christian community, we might say, or the, the, the blueprint for Christian community. So what I want to do with the rest of my time is highlight four necessary marks, or maybe we could say ingredients, of Christian community. Now, I know coming to North Carolina, many people call this the barbecue capital of the world, and there is a lot of barbecue here. There's actually some barbecue in California. Don't sleep on California's barbecue. We have something called tri-tip, which is amazing. But barbecue comes in a lot of different ways, right? You guys probably have your own recipes of barbecue. But there are some necessary ingredients that if they're not there, you can't call it barbecue. Meat, for one. But here's where my humble but honest opinion and truthful opinion plays into. It comes into the sauce. If it's not sweet, tomato-based sauce, it's not barbecue. Smithfield is not barbecue, brothers and sisters. I'm just going to throw that out there. All right, so there's some necessary ingredients as to barbecue, as to Christian community. And I want to deal with those. And the first is this, that Christian community is first devoted to the word of God. Christian community is first devoted to the word of God. The first aspect Luke gives for this new spirit-filled community in verse 42 is that they, is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
The church is to be a learning and studying community. We are people who ground and test our experiences in the word of God. Or the instruction, as we see it here, of the teaching of the apostles. Now, the apostles were those specifically chosen by Jesus to witness, to teach about, and to authentically record uh, the the events and meaning of, of his ministry. These men walk with Jesus. They witness his resurrection, and they were appointed by Christ himself. Their purpose, among others, included the explanation of who Jesus was and what he had done. This is what we see in Peter's first sermon in the verses leading up to our text. Peter argues directly from the Old Testament, presenting Jesus as the promised Messiah and the one sent to save the world from sin. So in verse 42 says they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Something specific is being stated here. They had a devotion to the word of God, yes, but specifically they devoted themselves to the apostolic interpretation of the word, which focused on its intent and its meaning on the person and work of Jesus, just as Jesus taught them. The culmination of this is the New Testament that we are reading from and preaching from this morning. So evidence of the Spirit's work in the early church was their willingness to sit at the apostles' feet, to learn from them and soak in their instruction regarding Jesus. And the authority of their message was authenticated by the miraculous signs which accompanied their teaching, just as it did Jesus. Verse 43, and and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's interesting how many other things Luke could have mentioned to describe describe this spirit-filled community first. Yet he lists a devotion to the word, brothers and sisters. A devotion to the apostolic teaching. Community marked by the Spirit, Christian community, will always be Bible teaching, Bible studying, and gospel proclaiming. John Stott says, commenting on this verse, A Spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, devotion to the Word of God is at the heart of true Christian community. This point cannot be stressed too much. Now, it's true community within the church is formed in many ways. It happens with many different ways within the body. This isn't bad. It could be age-specific, gender-specific, ministry-specific, maybe small group-specific. But what's at the center of it is what's essential and important. Within the church, we shouldn't seek to subdivide community for community's sake. We subdivide community to better aid the body in learning, studying, and most importantly, applying and living out the word of God. For community to be Christian, there must first be this devotion to the word of God. And this devotion to God through his word should spill over to a devotion towards one another. Ingredient number two is that Christian community is devoted to gospel living. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves not just to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship. The word here is koinonia, which has at its root this idea of holding something in common. You guys know this, the common everyday Greek language of this time, koine Greek, uh, was a common language that was shared by the people. 
So a spirit-filled church, the Christian community, shares in a common life in at least two ways. We share in something and we share out something. The church shares in the fellowship of the gospel. We share in the fellowship of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. First, First John chapter one verse three that we it says that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians thirteen four Paul speaks of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So what binds the church together is our common shared experience of God's grace. It is the gospel. We share in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus for our sins. This is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian, you must come to that place in your life where you recognize your sin as an affront to a holy and righteous God. You must recognize the due punishment you deserve for your sin and your need for a Savior. And then you must come to know, to believe, to trust in Jesus, God's Son, to be that very Savior for you. To be a Christian is to accept his death as the payment for the punishment due your sin, but also to embrace his life that he offers, committing yourself to him. It is the shared experience of grace which we find in the gospel that binds us together as Christian community. And brothers and sisters, there is no more beautiful expression of this than the partaking of the Lord's Supper, which you guys, we're going to do in just a moment. The Lord's Supper symbolizes our fellowship, our koinonia, our commonality. In what? In the grace of God in the gospel. Each time I and my church administer the Lord's Supper, I do so amongst differing ages, experiences, and ethnicities, and yet a radical commonality is present in the gospel. A fellowship of grace. All the structures and human barriers that divide us in so many ways, Age, sex, race, interest, intellect, status. In a healthy Christian community, they are torn down by the cross of Christ. Our togetherness is found in our common sharing in the gospel. But their fellowship here was not just based on what they shared in, but what they gave as a response to the gospel. Because they shared in God, they shared out to one another. Look at verse 44 and 45 again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were selling and they were distributing. Now this word, this word common, common at the end of verse 44, they had all things in common, comes from the same uh, group of words as the word fellowship. In other words, their spiritual sharing in the grace of God affected all areas of their life. They fellowshiped. Now, it's important we do point out here, there's no such thing as, this is not something of communism or socialism in any way, right? It actually says just the opposite. First, this was voluntary, not required. In the tense of the verbs in 45, they were selling and they were distributing, suggests that people were aiding each other as circumstances arose. Our English translation, or at least mine does, adds, and as they had need to help us kind of make this clear. So this is not saying everyone sold all their stuff and gave all their belongings as principle. If that was the case, how would they have homes to meet in? As we're going to see just a minute in our text. How do we hear of wealthy Christians later throughout the New Testament? You can't be considered wealthy if you've given everything up. 
What's happening here? Fellowship is happening here. Gospel living is happening here. The generosity of God in the gospel has so gripped this community that it permeates their interactions with one another. They saw none of their possessions as inherently their own. They fellowship, they shared. They understood their salvation had brought them together in a supernatural way that a responsibility for one another shaped their interactions together. Now it's important to note again, there is a, there's a context here to these believers a bit different than ours. They lived within walking distance from one another, most likely. This was more of a merchant trade type of society, much different than ours. So we need to be honest about that. It's, it's, it's dangerous to make a one-to-one correlation here. But we also need to be honest how this text does confront us in the way we tend to institutionalize the local church in ways foreign to the pages of the New Testament. We must guard our churches from functioning more like businesses than a Christian community where the shepherd has become the executive, the CEO. The worship leader is just the successful, the, the successful musician. We have to guard ourselves from trying to create the best experience to attract the most customers. We should be excellent in all things, which I tell our church every Sunday. But what we see here is Christians functioning more like family than any type of organization. And brothers and sisters, if you don't know this, I know what you're doing right now. We did this for nine months in San Diego. I know this is difficult for you. But see the the grace of the Lord Jesus, that he is removing a lot of the things for a season in your life, which tend to aid us and move us into thinking that the church is more a business than a family. You're here in your churches, your chairs you brought from your home. You're here under tents that you've popped out probably from your trunks. You're here with your kids sitting longer probably in a worship service than you're used to. But guess what? The gospel is present here. The fellowship of grace is present here. We're family in the gospel. These early Christians knew that to belong to Jesus was to belong to one another. When we receive God as father, we receive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this reality should be expressed in ways we share life with one another. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, a very significant verse here because you guys know Romans. The first 11 chapters are, are, Paul takes us to the mountain peak of theology. It's a doctrinal magnum opus. And he makes that transition in chapter 12 to therefore, and he starts moving and he doesn't get very far into chapter 12, verse 10. And he says this, love one another with brotherly affection. How should all the knowledge and the theology that we rightly should grab hold of and think through, how should it affect our lives? We should love one another brotherly affection. We should outdo one another in showing honor. We should not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayers, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Christian community is marked by a shared gospel living. We share in the gospel of God found in the, go- in the gospel which spills over to the sharing of our lives with one another. There's a third ingredient. Christian community is devoted to authentic worship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. These two together, breaking bread and prayers, are most likely a reference to the Lord's Supper, which almost certainly at this time include a larger meal taking place during worship. But worship is even further addressed down in verse 
46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Brothers and sisters, there's a balance in relation to worship I think we should consider here. 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, as I said, and breaking bread in their homes. Apparently, these early Christians were still meeting in the temple formally for worship. This was probably the court of the Gentiles where large crowds could gather together. At the same time, they supplemented this formal worship in the temple with informal, spontaneous meetings in their homes. The point here is is found in the repeated phrase, together, or one accord, your translation might have. Time and space cannot, should not, define true Christian community. Spirit wasn't given for the for the people of God to function as such solely on Sunday mornings from 10 to 12 or 9.30 to however long I'm going to go or any other block of time in the week, right? No, the early church understood their salvation and receiving of the Holy Spirit had created something new in, in, in the individual that was expressed corporately in the body of Christ. So they were together. Why? Because they belonged together. They needed to be together. They sacrificed their time and resources to be together. Togetherness is the principle and expectation of Christian community all throughout the Bible. We have to be on guard about Christianity, about our Christianity amounting to nothing more than time and space. This is a significant thing in San Diego, but it's, it's, it's a significant thing here as well. Now, I think it's important that I'm not saying that specific times and spaces aren't important, right? We're doing one now. This is the most important time and space that you guys have together as a body, your corporate gathering. But the structured time and space of Christian community should spill over to organic living. The formal should lead to the informal. Structure should lead to organic because together is the call of the Bible. So church, I want to ask you a question. Redeemer Church, are you together? You say, well, how much are you talking about? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It simply gives us the principle of being together. Here's how I ask my church this question, and I'll ask you the same. Imagine you meet someone at work or, I don't know, anywhere else you might meet a new person, and you start to become friends with them and start to hang with them in such a way that you're seeing them, you're spending time with them at least once or twice a week. Would that person who has now intersected their life with your life in the process be intersecting their life at some point with someone from Redeemer? It's a question to consider, brothers and sisters. Togetherness is the principle of Christian community. Our worship should be expressed through our togetherness. I want to give you the last point here, though, that Christian community results in faithful witness in the world. So far, we've talked about the church's teaching, the church's fellowship and worship as defining its community. This is what the early church devoted themselves to. But we can't stop here, right? We cannot leave off verse 47, which functions something of a result clause here, or as a result statement. 
God used their devotion to the word. God used their devotion to one another. God used their worship to solidify their witness in the world. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The byproduct of this supernatural fellowship where spirit-filled believers are learning together, sharing together, and worshiping together is growth. And this happens through our witness, our evangelism. Again, as one author says, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit who created a missionary church. These early Christians were not preoccupied with the internal life of the body to the extent of neglecting their witness around them. No, the apostolic instruction, the correct interpretation of the word of God demands we proclaim the message of salvation to the world around us. And growth is the byproduct. But do notice, please, who brings this growth here? It says the Lord added to their number day by day. Christ is the head of the church. Only he has the power to bestow salvation on whom he sees fit. We pray, we preach, we proclaim, he saves. We witness, we remain faithful, he adds. Man can grow a crowd, of course. Only God grows a church. We can build a congregation, but only God builds his body. This is a supernatural work beyond our gifts and abilities. Getting people into a building is a work of God, is a work of man. Growing authentic Christian community is a supernatural work of the Spirit. So our aim is not growth. Our aim is faithfulness. Our aim is to devote ourselves to being the body of Christ, to living the gospel and proclaiming it to our community. And God in His time, God in His way, brings growth. Now the ordering of this last phrase takes us really back to where we began, at least the verse right before we began. And he added to their number that day by day, those who were being saved. Again, salvation is a community creating event. Those who were saved were added. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is always personal, but it's never private. A privatized Christianity, me and Jesus, is nowhere to be found in our Bibles. People are always saved individually. You must personally repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior savior to be a Christian. We come to Christ one at a time. Don't misunderstand me. But when we come to Christ, we come into the company of God's people. God saves, and when He does, He adds to His church. And it is this supernatural togetherness which God uses to authenticate our gospel message. God authenticated the apostles' message. It says here in verse 43, by supernatural means, signs and wonders. Brother and sister, he still authenticates the gospel message to the world around us through supernatural means today as well. When the world sees a group of people Differing ages, differing ethnicities, differing socioeconomic backgrounds, differing political persuasions, all studying the word of God together, all sharing life together, all caring for one another, all worshiping together from house to house, it will take notice. 
It will listen to our message for it will know that this cannot have come about by any natural means. Look, differences in the body of Christ. In fact, they they can, in fact, give rise for authentic gospel witness. Now, I want to be clear. There are differences that should divide us. Your church has a statement of faith. You guys have empowered your elders to uphold that statement of faith. And the elders call you as members to help uphold that statement of faith. That's what it means to be a member of this church. There are differences in terms of our doctrine that should divide us as people, as members. But brothers and sisters, outside of those differences in terms of doctrine, there are a myriad of differences that can highlight, that can authenticate the supernatural reality of the gospel. And I don't have to tell you this. We're have been in a season, are still in a season, have one leg out, but one leg getting pulled back in of a season where we are bombarded by differences that tend to divide us. Redeemer, be the church of Jesus Christ. Make the fellowship of the gospel, the supernatural reality that binds you together. So that when people come around you, they say, what in the world? How are these people together? And they have to conclude it's through Christ and his spirit in them. Brothers and sisters, as I said, we create all kinds of community within the church. But God does create Christian community. He supernaturally brings us together as the body of Christ through the work of his spirit. And the Christian community marked by the spirit will include biblical teaching, loving fellowship, authentic worship, and a faithful witness. Those are the ingredients we find in Acts chapter 2. Now, I know because I've sat with your pastor and I know your pastor that this is present within this body. He loves you guys and he is grateful for what he sees in this church. But we always should want this to grow in our churches even more. So I want at least in closing, give you two applications that I always give to my church in terms of how do we think about this culture of supernatural togetherness growing among our body. And two applications for each of you. First is this, you must think less of yourself. Christian community is not about you. It's not about me. Not necessarily about, it's not about your pastors. It's first and foremost about the Lord. But then it's more about us than it is me. We must humble ourselves. And as believers, we must humble ourselves by remembering the cross. We were Orphans, separated from God in our sin. But because of the gospel, we have been saved, forgiven, but not left out on an island as a saved, forgiven child. We've been brought into the family of God. We all need to think less of ourselves and more about loving and caring for one another. How can I give my life to serve others in the way of Christ? How can I put the interest of others before myself, as Paul says? Think less of yourself. But brothers and sisters, think more of yourself. What do I mean? Christian community is dependent upon the Christian. You are needed. Christian community doesn't happen without you. You have a story. You have a life experience that no one else has. You have 
some good things in your background and you have some bad things in your background that you struggle with and still work through. And God intends to use all of those submitted to the gospel to help foster Christian community. No one here on this lawn today is too old, too young, too broken, too different to play a vital role in the body of Christ. Think less of yourself, brothers and sisters, but think more of yourself. Because Christian community is marked by a supernatural togetherness resulting from, focused on, the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, first and foremost, we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. That's not a generic title we throw around. That's a reality in the gospel through the work of your Son. You have done everything necessary to waken us to our need for you. You've done everything to accomplish our salvation. You've done everything to bring us to faith in Christ. You've done everything to bring us into the fellowship of the church. And you've done everything for these brothers and sisters to bring them into this beautiful fellowship known as Redeemer. God, I pray they would see the beautiful privilege it is to be the people of God and to be the people of God right here, right now together. And God, might you remind us that you are at work in us doing a supernatural work and making known your supernatural work to the world around us. God, I pray for community in this church to continue to be Christian, to be centered on the word, to be devoted to sharing of life together, to be committed to gospel worship, and to be focused on reaching a lost and dying world for you. God, I pray that you would continue to stir the affections of your people through the word of God for the sake of the glory of the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquaverina, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.